Amen. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we do thank you that you give us these two times of coming together around your word. Lord, we just look to you as the speaking spirit. Lord, speak to us in these two sessions. Lord, open up what is on your heart to us concerning the matter of prayer. Oh, particularly praying at the golden incense altar. Lord, release this burden. Keep us one spirit with you. Strengthen all the saints this morning into the inner man. Oh, deliver us from all the distracting things. Lord, oh, that all our hearts can be turned to you and our spirit be strengthened before you. Lord, give us ears to hear what your spirit is speaking to the churches. Amen. Well, uh, dear brothers and sisters, uh, I'm so happy that um, uh, the brothers arrange um, to have these two sessions of a mini conference, uh, you know, with the saints here in uh, there in New England. Uh, as you can see from the outline, <clears throat> this in these two sessions, we uh, I want to speak about the matter of prayer. Uh, if um, if there is any um, any burden these days, I would say. It is prayer. Um, we are living in a very uh, unusual time, a special time of human history, and uh, um, and not only unusual in the sense of uh, many things happening, but unusual that we are living very much uh, in the last part of this age, near the end of this age. Uh, you can just sense the Lord is uh, yearning to uh, fulfill what he promised us 2,000 years ago, that he wanted to come quickly, but yet he has not been able to, because not because he does not want to, but because of the human condition, uh, that uh, uh, we were not ready. But it seems that these days the Lord wants to fulfill that to uh, usher in his return. And uh, we are living in this, uh, in this time, uh, you know, this uh, pandemic uh, that is still with us uh, for the last few months and is still ongoing. And along with that, there are many of the social problems and uh, economical problem, uh, political tension, all these things are all around us. I'm not here to address those things, but we as believers, as lovers of the Lord, we all have to pray, Lord, what do all these things mean? We are, we do, we are not worldlings that we just pass through these things as just another happening, another part of human history. This is just another severe flu. Uh, no, there's something that God is doing in our days and with the church. So we have to ask, we have to seek, that we will realize there's a lot more things going behind, going on behind the scene than what appears before our eyes. Uh, as you recall, actually, back in uh, early early this year, uh, when the virus broke out in China, it was, uh, 
it was getting worse uh, every day, and uh, many human lives were affected. And at a certain point, there was a call from the saints, mainly in China and also uh, some parts of uh, Asia, to have a uh, all-day, 24-hour prayer to pray to the Lord because it was uh, this virus was coming on like a plague, and uh, and um, uh, so there was a desperate uh, burden to pray to call out to pray mostly uh, in China and the Far East for 24 hours. And the Lord surely had heard that prayer and there was some effect. And they did that for three times until we come to toward the end of March. Then this virus continued to spread and became a pandemic and hitting not just China, not just Asia, but now coming to the U.S. and across the whole world, and and breaking through all the boundaries and all the barriers, then we realize that this is not something uh, local or regional. This is something global. And as the saints in China, they were wanting to, they had this kind of prayer. Uh, then we sent the co-workers came together and felt the need to also pray globally and not just for China. Now this thing is happening on the whole earth. So initially we wanted to have in a day of global prayer, calling saints from all across, all over the earth. And then when we began to fellowship, we, we were reminded of brother Lee when he first came to America in 1962, that uh, he prayed for 21 days. So the, all the co-workers felt good. Let's, let's do it for 21 days of round-the-clock prayer. And we made this call to the whole earth, to all the saints in all the churches. And then at the end of the 21 days, we also felt we need to extend to 30 days. And then after 30 days, we felt the need to extend another 30 days, and which ended about 12 days ago at the end of May. Dear brothers and sisters, for those who have participated in these past two months of, of corporate prayer, I don't know how you feel, how you feel. Inwardly, I have the deep conviction that, uh, uh, we cannot go back to the, to the pre, pre-pandemic days. Uh, we cannot go back to that kind of a prayerless church life, prayerless Christian life. It seems that the Lord allowed this pandemic to happen, to humble us, to bend us, bend our knees before him. While many of our activities have been curtailed, have been limited, and uh, we're not so uh, free to move about uh, as before. So many of us, we had no, we had, we had no choice, including all the coworkers. We're not able to travel, do as much as we, as we used to do. And we spend more time to pray. And that, and as we begin to pray more, then the more we realize that what the Lord is, uh, uh, the Lord does not just want us to pray about the pandemic. We thought is uh, our prayer is the direct Directed it, directing toward the matter of this virus, this spread. But actually, in the Lord's mind, is to use this virus, use this pandemic, to cause us to pray, to learn to pray. And 
So now after these uh, last three months, dear saints, I would have to tell you, I cannot go back to uh, to where I was before. I prayed, but not in the same kind of intensity, not in the same kind of pressure. And I have to say, tell you, there has been a pressure, pressure within, not just a pressure without. A pressure, somehow because of the environment, there has been a pressure pressing me to pray, to cry out to the Lord, which is actually healthy. According to Brother Lee's life study in Revelation uh, concerning the, the fifth seal, the, the prayer of the martyr saints from beneath the altar, and that in that message, he, he told us, I cannot charge you to pray like these ones, pray, crying out desperately. He said, but, but the time will come. You will all be pressed, so pressed, you will cry out and pray. And when that time comes, that will be an indication that the end is near. The Lord is coming back. And I sense these days we are here. We have, there is a pressing upon our spirit to utter forth this kind of prayer. Well, you know, as we are engaging this kind of prayer, we pray, then we realize the Lord does not just want us to pray about the virus, pray about this uh, uh, pandemic. There is, there is a struggle. There is a warfare, actually, that is going on behind the scene in this universe between God and his enemy, Satan, that requires our prayer. God used, only used this pandemic, the outward situation, to draw our attention, to, to bend our knees, so that God may gain a corporate intercessor on the, on the earth today that who, can, who will sympathize with him and who can respond to him. And as we review, dear saints, we all learn, yearn for the Lord's return. But in order for the Lord to come back, to change this age, that he is coming back for a bride. If there's no bride, he cannot come back. This is what he has been waiting for the last 2,000 years. In order for him to have the bride, he has to have a matured body, a built-up body. The bride cannot be just consist of, of many scattered, separated, divided individuals. The bride is one. The bride is, the bride is a built-up entity. So there has to be the building up of the body. And along with the bride, there has to be a warrior because Christ will come back with his bride as a warrior to fight against Satan and the Antichrist in the, in the ultimate war. Where is the warrior today? Who can fight among the Christians whom you meet? who are strong enough, who has been equipped to know how to fight the spiritual warfare. So, saints, that uh, the Lord must teach us how to pray, must teach us to pray so that the bride can be made ready, the body of Christ can be built up, and also the warrior, the army, can be prepared. Without these things, the Lord cannot return. Surely, you know, the, uh, whether it's the building up of the, of the church and the preparation of the bride, there has to be the growth in life. And as Paul prayed, Ephesians 3.17, which is a prayer we need to pray every day, Lord, strengthen me into my, into my inner man and make your home in my heart. 
This is a prayer that caused the Lord to grow in us so that we can be built up with other fellow members. This is also the prayer that will cause us, cause the bride to be prepared by activating the water in the word that will wash away all the all the spots and wrinkles. Without prayer, the bride cannot be made ready. Without the prayer, also the body cannot be built up. And also without the prayer, where can the warrior be? According to Ephesians 6, that warrior has to know how to uh, uh, reel the sword, how to be equipped with the whole armor of God, but by means of all prayer and petition, by means of all prayer. So, dear saints, I believe through all that has been happening in the last few months, the Lord has brought us to this point. We need to pray, and He wants us to pray. He needs a man of prayer. He needs a vessel of prayer on the earth who can respond to Him. This is why we are on this matter uh, in these two sessions. It is on the same. It's the same title in two sections. The, sec, the, pre, the title is Praying at the Incense Altar for the Formation of an Army to Fight for God's Move on Earth. We all have been praying. I believe we all, we, we all have been praying in different uh, manner, uh, in different degree, a different degree. But I believe, saints, the Lord wants us to advance to a level of prayer that can meet his need. There is a prayer that is described in Revelation chapter 8. That is the prayer at the incense altar. That picture just keeps coming back to me again and again. We need to learn that prayer. We cannot pray as common Christians, praying to God, asking Him for help and for things. We need to pray in a way to enter into His heart, and even more particularly, to pray uh, of the, the prayer at the incense altar that can offer Christ up as the pleasant, sweet, fragrant incense with the smoke that can trigger the operation, the execution of God's will. So this, I would say this matter is deep, is profound. Brother Lee, in his life study, he says, the prayer at the golden incense altar is the greatest matter in the whole universe. Nothing is more central than this matter. And I believe this. I fully echo this, especially in passing through these days. Of course, we need to preach the gospel. We need to shepherd the saints. We need to build up the church. But look at it. Without prayer, without this kind of prayer, none of those things will be effective. None of those things will work. So we are touching the greatest thing in the whole universe, the prayer at the incense altar. And this is most central of all the things in God's economy. Well, with this, I want to, um, I'd like to finish my speaking by, by uh, 11.15, so that to allow you a little time to have small group, to have some overflow. And then the last five minutes, we'll all be back here for a uh, conclusion, uh, concluding word by two brothers. Now, um, 
This first point says God is omnipotent, but His omnipotence is subject to limitations because He must have conditions suitable for His working. We all must realize this uh, uh, crucial, important principle that is revealed in the Word: that God needs man. Uh, God will not want to carry out His operation apart from man, apart from the matter of creation, which He did all by Himself. After that, He desired, after He created man in His image and likeness. He desired to work out everything, to carry out his will in cooperation with man. He will not want to do anything by himself. He wants man to be one with him. He gave man a free will. So after he created man, he has this desire that this man will be fully one with him, will will, uh, sympathize with him, will move with him, will be identified with him in every way. He gave man a free will. He let man to choose what he what he wills. He doesn't he did not force man to go his way. Our God is great. But deep in his heart he desired that this man would yield to him, will submit to him, will become one with him. He is willing to submit to allow himself to become limited. The omnipotent God becomes limited by man. What a thought. What a thought this is. God can do everything. He created the whole universe all by himself. Yet, he is willing to subject himself to man's free will, to be limited by him. In Second Chronicles 16.9, it says, for the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro throughout the, all the earth to strengthen those whose heart is perfect toward him. God wants to strengthen man, but he does not strengthen every man. He is looking for those who are perfect, whose heart is perfect toward him. There is a condition that determines whether God can strengthen you or not. Your heart needs to be perfect. Point A says, we need the Lord to give us light to see what he can do and to see what we can hinder him from doing. We need the Lord's light to see this. This is a very crucial principle that God, on the one hand, can do everything. He is omnipotent, but he wants man to work together with him. He wants to work with man, works through man, and works in man. This is it. We don't know why, but surely this is the the clear and definite revelation shown to us in his word. So God needs man. And at the same time, because God needs man and man is limited, and oftentimes man pose limitation, hindrance to God. Now, point one says, we can put God into a position where he cannot do what he wants to do. Can you imagine a limited, small, puny man like us can, can cause God to stop what he wants to do? 
it's hard to imagine that, uh, you know, in uh, these verses, um, in Isaiah 50, verse 2, Why then I came? Why, when I came, was there no man? When I call, why was there no one to answer? God wants man to be there when he comes. God wants man to answer him when he calls. He does not want to just do things alone, come by himself, speak by himself. He wants a response from man. And we know the the verses in Matthew 13 about the sower. God wants to sow through his son, the seed of life, into man. Who can hinder him? Yet we know there are four conditions of soil which determine the outcome of that seed. That seed, the same seed, but producing different results depending on the condition of the soil of man's heart. And Matthew 23, verse uh, 37 says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I desire to gather your children together the way a hand gathers her, her brood under her wings, and you would not. So on the one hand, God would, God's like a mother hand, wanting to gather his children, like a little chicken. But it says here, but you, you would not. God wants to gather us, but you refuse. Can men refuse what God wants to do? Seemingly, Seemingly, God can just do it, but God will not because he has a principle he has to keep. So he says, but you would not, man would not, so he cannot do it. And then, of course, in Hebrews, in Mark uh, chapter 6, verse 5, is sobering, he could not do any work of power there. God is all-powerful, but when he comes to a, a people, who are obstinate? Who are who are who are uh, uh, you know uh, 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 refusing, opposing? He said he could not do any work of power there. So man can pose limitation to God wants to do. And Hebrews chapter three, we have the verses showing us that God wants to bring His people to to the rest, to the good land, but. They could not enter in because of unbelief. The whole generation, after tra- traveling 40 years, they could not enter in because God did not want to bring them. No, God promised them the land, but they could not enter in because of unbelief. Let's go on to point two. Today, the power of God is limited to our capacity, and it is subject to our will, submission, obedience, and faith. It is like a <clears throat> reservoir with uh, millions and billions of tons of water held back by the dam. If you're standing on the other side of that dam, you don't see any water, and you punch a little small hole, the water trickles out, and you think that's all the water there is. But actually, there are just voluminous amount of water behind that dam, and that is governed by how big a hole, how big an opening you allow in that dam, then you see how much water. Brothers and sisters, don't you believe there is so much has been hemmed up in God's heart all these years, 6,000 years, 
and particularly in the last 2,000 years, since the Lord made the promise he will return quickly. But so much he wanted to accomplish, yet no response. He cannot work it out. When Brother Lee came to America in 62, before he had the first conference, he had that 21 days of prayer with three brothers on their knees every day, five days a week, three or four hours. And he testified to us that in those days, as they were kneeling there, prayers was like waterfall. They cannot stop praying because he, they touch that, that reservoir, that water held, has been held back for so, for so long. The more they pray, the more they had to pray. Dear saints, can we pray like this these days? I'm not sure. If we are all are full-time, we all are, are available to come together to, for 21 days every day. Can we pray? Can we touch that voluminous, that water behind the dam to release it? We are so small. We are just, uh, we are all concerned, sorry to say, for our own things, for what's immediate before us. We, are, we don't know there's so much being hemmed up within God's heart that needs to be released. But it needs man's will to be, submission, to be in submission, obedience, and faith. To tap, to tap into this unlimited capacity of God. Number three says, the Lord must bring us to a place of utter responsiveness to himself so that he can have a free and unhindered way to do whatever he wants to do. What is he waiting for? He, God is waiting for an utter responsiveness. In, uh, uh, in the uh, Brother Nee's collected works, there is a little message he gave. The title is The Limitations of God. This is, uh, I'd like to bring up to you now a little excerpt. Uh, 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 someone can uh, uh, share the screen. Uh, a portion I'd like to read to you from that excerpt. <clears throat> okay, can we bring it up, that uh, excerpt? Today, this is the secret of service. How can we really serve the Lord? It is not by doing things or by being zealous, but by coming to a place of real submission. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Whenever there is much sacrificing, it is doubtful that there is much obedience. It's easy for us to sacrifice, easy for us to offer something to God, but it is, but there, uh, Brother Nee says, it's doubtful that there is much obedience. It was easier for Abraham to put Isaac on the altar than to take him back. Can you imagine? Which is harder, to offer Isaac or to take Isaac back. The Lord must bring us to a place where we have nothing to hinder him, where we are pliable in the hands of the Lord. He must bring us to a place of utter responsiveness to himself so that he can have a free and unhindered way. Then there will be nothing that he cannot do. The son can do nothing from himself. That is the secret. Oh, this tenacious nature of ours. Lord, from today... May I have grace not to trust in myself, not to use my own power, nor to think highly of myself. 
May all that is hindering you be put under your blood. May this be so. This is from Collected Works, Set 2, Volume 46, page 1,225. Okay, we can come back. Let me go on. Point B says, the kingdom means that God can do what he wants, that he has his way, that he is unhindered, and that he has authority, power, and glory. What would be true in the kingdom age should be true in the church today. Many Christians pray your kingdom come, thinking, hoping that when God's kingdom come, a new era will begin. Everything will be in control. Everything will be proper, which is true. But we need to realize God's kingdom means more than just a better government, a a more righteous government. God's kingdom, first of all, means God's reign, God's rule, God's freedom to do what he wants. This is what kingdom means. So before the actual kingdom of God comes physically, God's kingdom has to first come into our heart, come into the church, where God can do whatever he wants. He can feel, he has a free way to do whatever he pleases. See, the body of Christ can either be for his expression or his limitation. This is another thought that really, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, trigger something in me. We spoke on the body of Christ all these years, mostly on the positive side, on his expression, on his um, fullness. But we yet, yet, actually, as much as the body can express him, the body can also hinder him, right? There is the other side. So <clears throat> the body's hindrance to a person is even much more than just some external matters. You know, we uh, we know what a, a three-legged race is, right? Two persons tying two legs together and what try to walk. If you are one of them, you want to choose your mate. You want to choose someone who is very versed, uh, uh, very uh, uh, liquid, very fluid, very uh, active, uh, very healthy, and you can move along quickly. You don't want to choose someone who is... Uh, um, handicapped and who is uh, uh, a slow. Well, God and man have been coupled together to take to walk this three-legged race. Little do we know that we have been a hindrance to God. We have slowed God's da- God down for all these years. Our body, you know, we 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 know sometimes even just a, a achy, a achy, fo- achy, achy foot, uh, or, or or just some some uncomfortableness in in certain part of the body. It slows down your movement. It just hinders you from from doing things. We are the body of Christ, indeed, not not as as an allegory. In reality, we are the body of Christ. And how how can what happens to us not affect God's movement? So this is a, a sobering thought to realize that the body not only can express him, but also can hinder him. We are either being used to express him or we are limiting him. We are in the position to give Christ a full expression or to limit his expression. The Lord is looking for members of his body who will be fully responsive to him and in whom the limitations to his will are removed. So when we pray in Matthew 6, according to Matthew 6, Lord, your will be done as in heaven, so on earth. 
That is not talking about the will of God outside. First, that will of God is concerning you, concerning you and me. That will of God in each one of us has to be done freely on earth as it is in heaven. Everything has to be yielded to him. Not only when we come to sacrifice, we are willing to do something, offer something, sacrifice something. That may, that may still be something out of ourselves. But when God says, take, take Isaac back, we may not be willing to do that. We like to do something according to our zeal, but we may not want to listen to God's command. This is the secret, as, as Brother Nee says. So, the Bible presents to us this great, great matter of God's need of man to be his cooperation. God is willing to be limited by us. That's why in the last 2,000 years, it has been a period of waiting. Not that God does not want to do more, not that Christ does not want to come back sooner, but man has been a great limitation to him. Let me move on to D. We need to realize how great our responsibility is. And our eyes need to be open to see God's limitations and to see how we should cooperate with him. We know God's will is the church. God's will is with his body on the earth, the body of Christ. And through his son, sowing the seed of the kingdom, the church was brought into being. He declared he will build his church, and the church was produced on the day of Pentecost. But he also committed to the church this responsibility to bring in the kingdom. He charged us to pray, your kingdom come. The church has the responsibility to bring in the kingdom of God. The kingdom has brought, has brought forth the church as a, with the seed of life. And now it is the responsibility of the church to bring in the kingdom. Dear saints, in all the churches, in the Lord's recovery, do we realize what our responsibility is? Our responsibility is not only preaching the gospel, which we need to do. Our responsibility is to shepherd the saints, which we need to do. Our responsibility is to have good meetings, to help the saints to have a good church life. This is what we need to do. But ultimately, saints, our responsibility is to bring in the kingdom of God. If we cannot do that, the church is useless. The church has wasted, wasted, is wasted on this earth. The ultimate responsibility of the church is to be able to bring in God's kingdom. Okay, now we come to uh, the heart of this message. Now we see, we see this matter of uh, God needing us, God being limited, limited by us as a principle. This is why there is the need of prayer, and particularly the prayer at the incense altar. Roman numeral two says the incense altar signifies Christ as the intercessor. The golden incense altar is not only a place where people go to offer prayers. The golden incense altar actually is, is signifying Christ the person, Christ the praying one. This is what the incense altar is. It is not just a place for us to go to offer prayers. It is actually the praying Christ, Christ praying, the intercessor, the prayer life of Christ. 
This is what this golden incense altar is. For the sake of many new ones uh, among us, I'd like to bring up this drawing, a diagram of the uh, tabernacle, so that we all can can know, may know what what uh, where everything is located. This is a picture of the tabernacle with the outer court on the outside, and then the actual tabernacle inside with the holy place and holy of holies. These are the three sections <clears throat> behind the the the, the boundary. Uh, of that, uh, uh, the, this uh, uh, of the court, and in the outer court area, you have two pieces of furniture: the altar of burnt offering, that's the bronze altar, and following that is the laver, where the priests wash their 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 hands before they go into the tabernacle for their service. Then, in the actual uh, uh, tabernacle, the first part is the holy place where there are three pieces of furniture. On the north side, you have the showbread table. Then on the south side, you have a golden lampstand. Then east of that, west of that, you have the golden incense altar. This is what, this is the piece of furniture what we are talking about. This is where the incense is being offered to God with man, with the believer's prayer. And then next to that is a veil separating the Holy of Holies, from the Holy Place. In the Holy of Holies, there is only one piece of furniture, that is the Ark. That is the center of the testimony of God on the earth. Okay, I hope this is uh, uh, gives you an idea of the location of these furniture. Thank you. So, as you can see, the golden incense altar is placed, right? Not yet, Not quite in the Holy of Holies, but is very close. I want to first uh, speak to you about the importance of the incense altar. Why it is so important. There are six points underneath. Number one, the place where the priestly service begins. If you read Exodus 25 to, to 30, you see God revealed uh, the pattern of the tabernacle to Moses. And he began that, that revelation from the ark. The first piece of furniture revealed was the ark. That is most central. Then the second is the showbread table, and then the golden and then the uh, uh, the golden lampstand, and then to the altar. And then also he continued to reveal the priesthood, the priestly garment, and even the the consecration of the priest. It's not until chapter 30 he revealed the furniture of the golden incense altar. It is very meaningful that the golden incense altar is the very last item among all the furnishing in the tabernacle mentioned at the very end. After all the other furniture was mentioned, and even after the priesthood, the preparation of the priesthood was revealed. What does this mean? This means all those other, all those pieces of furniture, including the exercise of the priesthood, are for the incense altar. If it is no, if there's no incense altar, all the other furnishing and all the whole priesthood has no operation, has no purpose. The final piece of furniture revealed is the incense altar. This is actually where the priesthood begins their service. 
Many of us thought the priesthood, the priests they offered, they began their service by offering sacrifices in the bronze altar in the outer court. Actually, if you look at the whole picture as a whole, the priesthood, their function, they begin their service at the golden incense altar. This is the main function of the priest. So without that piece of furniture, the whole the revelation of the whole tabernacle with the priesthood becomes empty. And secondly, this golden incense altar is set before the ark of the testimony. Yes, it is located in the holy place, but is placed right next to the ark. I don't know how close. I know there is a separation, separating veil between the ark and the testimony. But in uh, uh, Exodus chapter 40, Verse 5 says that you shall put the golden altar for incense before the Ark of the Testimony and set up the screen of the entrance to the tabernacle. So it did not say, tell us exactly how far, how close before, but it is right before, right? The incense altar is right set right before the Ark. Seems to be it's facing the Ark is echoing the ark. So in other words, it is, uh, although it is located in the holy place, but location-wise is very, very close to the holy of holies. And number three, the incense altar belonged to the holy of holies. In 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 22 says, So he overlaid all the house with gold until all the house was complete. And the whole altar, this is the golden incense altar, which belonged to the innermost sanctuary he overlaid with gold. It's very interesting. Location-wise, this altar is in the holy place, but here in 1 Kings, we are told that uh, this altar belonged to the in, to the innermost sanctuary. It belongs there. It does not belong to the Holy of Holies. Another place in the Old Testament actually mentioned about the furnishing furnishing in the uh, holy place, it only mentions the showbread table and and the uh, lampstand. It did not mention the golden incense altar, even though it is physically there. But so it's, it's, it is a mysterious piece of furniture that location-wise, it is in the holy place, but functionally speaking, it belongs to the holy of holies. Then number four, the incense altar is related to prayer. We know in Luke chapter 1 when Zechariah went into uh, uh, the temple to, to, to uh, to offer incense and the people were praying outside. This incense altar is related to prayer. And when you read the whole book of Hebrews, we are always, we have been charged again and again to come forward to the throne of grace and then come forward to pray. Prayer is connected to this matter of the incense altar. And prayer, according to Hebrews, is to come in, is to come into the Holy of Holies, is to enter the Holy of Holies before the throne of grace, which is in the holiest place. So what is it? What is the prayer? The incense altar is related to prayer, yet the prayer, according to Hebrews, is to enter into the Holy of Holies before to come before the throne of grace. So many times I also question, Lord, am I praying at the throne of grace before the throne of grace, which is the which is the refers to the uh, uh, propitiatory cover upon the ark, the mercy seat, the throne of grace? 
But that's not where prayer actually takes place. The prayer actually takes place at the incense altar. So you can see there is a very close relationship between these two pieces of furniture. And number five, it is the center of God's administration. From the picture in Revelation 8, we can see clearly that um, uh, uh, as the incense, as the angel offered the incense with this, on the censer, uh, before the golden incense altar, when the smoke goes up, ascends to God on the throne, of the throne of authority, and that releases, that executes God's command to pour out his judgment. So you may say, <clears throat> the while the ark, you can say, is the center of God's testimony, no doubt. The heart of the tabernacle is the ark. The ark stands for the te- center of God's testimony on the earth. But the center of the operation of God's execution of his administration is not the ark, but is the incense altar. Number six says the incense altar signifies the interceding life, the prayer life of Christ. This is deep. I hope the Lord will can speak to us, reveal to us what, what my man's word can convey. We need to be open, bring this word back to the Lord. Show me how the incense altar signifies the interceding life, the prayer life of Christ. Christ lives a life of prayer. At his birth, actually before his birth, there were men praying, praying like Simon, Simeon, and also Anna, praying in the temple ushering in Christ's first birth. And Christ, at the end of his human life, he ended by his prayer in John 17. Christ lived a life of prayer. And this life of prayer is signified by this golden incense altar. So with all these points, we can see the golden incense altar, although located in the holy place, but functionally, actually, is, is belongs to the Holy of Holies. It belongs to the very center of God's testimony. And <clears throat> it is for the carrying out of execute God's divine administration. So it is too, too important. Now, B, Christ's interceding life, his prayer life, is the center of the divine administration. One. Well, before that, I'd like to read to you Hebrews 7.25 and also Romans 8.34, which tells us that Christ today, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come forward to God through him, since he lives always to intercede for them. What is Christ doing now in the heavens? He is interceding for us. Same thing in Romans 8, right? Who is the one who condemns us, right? Christ, who was raised, who is also at the right hand of God, he intercedes for us. One thing for sure, we know what Christ is doing today. He is interceding for us. He is our intercessor. Day and night, he is interceding. This is his unique work in the heavens right now. His prayer life is signified by this incense altar. The incense altar is the center of God's operation in the universe. 
Yes, the ark was important. It is the center of God's testimony. It can be likened to today's capital of our country, Washington, D.C. It is the center. It represents our country. But then there is a, in D.C., there is a place where the execution of the administration goes out. That is the White House, and that signifies the golden incense altar. The ark, we need the ark, but the ark needs, needs the, the golden incense altar as the execution, as the executing center. Little A says, the prayer life of Christ is the center of God's execution of his government on earth. The picture in Rome in Revelation eight <clears throat> is too. It, it, uh, it, uh, uh, it, I hope it, it would uh, leave us a deep impression when the seventh seal was opened, and then an angel came with a censer filled with incense. He put incense in it, and as the fire was put into the censer, the incense releases the smoke, and when the smoke rises, ascends to the throne, which is the throne of authority, the throne of God's government, and right away it executes God's judgment with the seven trumpets. We know the seventh seal, which is the last seal of God's economy. Then the content of that last seal is the seven trumpets containing all the final judgment God wants to pour out on this earth. And there in Revelation 8, we see that it is by the smoke released from the incense offered at the golden incense altar, that execution was triggered. So you may say this is why This golden incense altar is so crucial. I believe we are living in the days of revelation. I don't know exactly we are in chapter 5, chapter 6, or chapter 8. And I believe we are very close around this time. God used, allowed this, even this, all the happenings around us, the pandemic, all the, uh, even the the social situation, and uh, all the problems, which no man can solve. No human leaders, no, uh, uh, no man, no scientist. No, doesn't matter how smart, how powerful you are. All across the whole earth, there's nothing we, we can do with this, with this pandemic, with this virus. With a, we have to, we hope some kind of uh, uh, effective uh, vaccine will come out soon, but. We were all put to our end. So we have, to, we have to resort to nothing but to pray, to acknowledge, saints, there is one sitting on the throne. He knows everything that is happening on the earth today. He knows. He knows our sufferings. He knows our pain. He knows all the discouragement that we go through. But he allows these things to pass so that we can learn one thing. We can, we can pr- come to this incense altar to pray, even under much pressure, much pressing. Lord, what can we do about this? I cannot do anything about this. 
Now we come to cry out to the one on the throne who has the authority to carry out his judgment, to bring in his righteousness, to bring in his kingdom. Dear saints, we are living at the last part of this age. The end has to come before the kingdom can be brought in. We are very close to this end. But at this end time, there has to be an incense altar. There has to be, there has to be a, 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 an intercessor, a corporate intercessor on the earth who are not just praying for their welfare, praying for, for their prosperity, praying for just uh, uh, you know, the problems will go away. No, God must gain an intercessor who will sympathize with what God wants to do and to utter the prayer with the incense of Christ to ascend to the heavens, to his throne, to execute, that we can bring in the end of this age so that the kingdom can come in. So this prayer life of Christ is too, too crucial. Little B says the execution of God's administration is motivated by the prayers offered to him from the incense altar. We saw that. The prayer offered at the incense, incense altar governs the universe. That's why Brother Lees could say, we are touching, when we touch this matter of prayer at the incense altar, we are touching the greatest matter in the whole universe. Revelation 8 is a picture of the incense altar being the administrating throne of God for him to execute his judgment in his administration. Now we come to point C. We need to participate in Christ's interceding life. It is interesting to see that now we know Christ is, he lived a prayer life, interceding life. And even now in the heavens, at the right hand of God, he is interceding there for us. But the Bible, the New Testament, shows us clearly that God wants us to pray. He is praying, but he also wants us to pray. Why? It would be good enough for him. He knows. He knows our need. He can do everything. He prays for us. But he, the Bible he clearly tells us God wants man to also pray on the earth. He wants us to participate in his interceding life. Romans eight twenty six and 27 is very precious to me. which says, moreover, in like manner, the Spirit also joins in to help us in our weakness. For we do not know for what we should pray as is fitting. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. But he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to God. As he is interceding there in the heavens, now he is what? He came as the Spirit to join in, to help us in our weakness. What is the weakness here? This is not the weakness of, oh, I don't have a weakness. I I don't like to go to the meeting. I have weakness weakness in uh, 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 not overcoming this uh, this, uh, problem. No, this is particularly referring to the weakness of not praying. We are all weak in the matter of prayer. But the Spirit here came in to help us in our weakness. We do not know what we should pray as is fitting. We don't know. Sometimes we come to the Lord. We, even in these days, we encourage the saints, pray every day. Just pray that 15 minutes. I hope all the saints there in, in New England continue, even after the two months. Don't go back to the old days. That's over. That's gone. 
We want to live in this new era, a, a, a new era full of prayer life. And how do we pray every day? It's not easy, I have to admit. We pray every day. You come in, you, you know, pray once in a while. When some situation uh, pops up, you pray, then, uh, uh, then something spontaneous. But you can you come every morning, 8.15, 8.15 to 8.30, pray. And you kneel down there. What should I pray? Pray the same thing as I did yesterday. And whole week. Sometimes you get tired. You get exhausted. And I, I want to encourage you, saints. That's why in Luke 18, when talking about the, the widow coming to the unrighteous judge, the Lord used that, used, that, used that parable to show us, the story to show us we need to pray perseveringly. We need to persist, persevere. And then the, the verse, what, verse 6 or something that says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? We need to have faith. Also, in Zechariah 12, the Spirit, God will pour out the Spirit of grace and of supplication upon us in these last days. Along with the Spirit of supplication, which is the Spirit of prayer, He poured out the Spirit of grace. <clears throat> Every day as we come to fulfill our duty to pray, we need to take grace. We need to have faith. Don't give up. Yes, it's tiresome sometimes. Our, our flesh is weak, but the spirit is, is willing. Even though sometimes it seems so we are repeating, Lord, grow in me. Lord, build up the church. Lord, save the sinners. Lord, carry out your move. Lord, build up the church. Lord, subdue the enemy. Sometimes we are, get tired of repeating these things. But saints, don't get tired. We have faith. We have grace with us. Let us continue. So don't let these things, we have to keep coming to the Lord repeatedly, again and again, chipping away. Every day is like in a balance. We put on a little chip, put on a little chip. Nothing seems to happen. But when that final chip is put on that balance, it tails the balance. We don't know when that will be. But surely we are approaching that tipping point of human history. God is gaining this corporate, a substantial group of people on the earth. He is looking for, he is not looking for every Christian praying, but he is looking for a substantial number, a substantial representative can be considered as his intercessor on the earth. When they pray, when they add a little chip on that balance, it will tip that balance. It will cause the execution of his will. So. Okay, so the Spirit is, is interceding, teaching us also to pray in response. And of course, we have these other verses in 1 Timothy 2. We are charged, <clears throat> first of all, we must pray. Saints in the churches in New England, first of all, we must pray. May in every church in New England, you must be a praying church, not just a church with a prayer meeting. Every church must be a praying church, full of the... <clears throat> atmosphere, spirit of prayer, not just to have a prayer meeting. That's not good enough. We must be a praying church, a praying people. Ephesians 6, also Colossians 4.3, talking about Paul was charging, pray for us <clears throat> in all these verses. 
Paul did not just ask Christ to pray for him. Paul asked the saints to pray for him. Which prayer is more effective, Christ's prayer or man's prayer? Paul tells us Christ is interceding. That's good enough. But Paul says, brothers, pray for me. We need man's prayer, which is actually a duplication, an echoing to Christ's prayer. Let me move on. He says, after his resurrection and ascension, the individual Christ has become the corporate Christ. Thus, before God today, not only is the individual Christ interceding, but the corporate Christ, the head with the body, is interceding as well. This is great, great light. To me, this is this is this is worthwhile itself. This this worthwhile worthy of a conference. Our prayer life is not as many Christians, seeking Christians, praying to God. I mentioned that uh, you know before you know uh, in March sometime, but uh, Billy Graham's daughter and had offered a tremendous prayer, really spiritual prayer for this country for this pandemic situation. But she prayed as a sincere, God-fearing, God-seeking believer. But today, the prayer that God is seeking is not just from his Christians on the earth, the seekers, but his body, his organic counterpart. We have been, when we were saved, we were raised together with him. We are made alive together with him, raised together with him, and we are now seated together with him. We are part of him. We are part of him. And he wants our prayer to reflect that. How can my body, my legs, my hands do something else than what my head is doing? It's impossible. Whatever my hands and feet are doing must be reflective of what goes on in my head, in my brain. Christ is the head, and the church is his body. And our prayer is praying as his counterpart. We are praying as a corporate Christ. Today, the one praying at the incense altar is not an individual Christ. It's not the Christ praying in John 17. It is the resurrected and ascended Christ as the head, together with his body, all the believers together, as a corporate Christ praying at the incense altar. Okay, number one, as the members of Christ... And as part of the body Christ, we cooperate with Christ in his ministry of intercession, carrying out his intercession in our prayers of intercession. Saints, I hope you will see this. You will be impressed by this. God, Christ needs our intercession because we are his body to correspond to him. When we arrive at the incense altar, at the center of the divine administration, we will become intercessors, interceding for others and for the Lord's interest. Pay attention to the word arrive. There needs to be, there has to be a journey where we take to arrive at our destination, which is the incense altar. The incense altar is not, is not just one piece of furniture along the way of our journey. The incense altar is our destination. When we arrive here, we will talk about this journey tomorrow, tomorrow's message, tomorrow's message. We need to take a journey every day so that we can arrive at our destination, incense altar, as the center of the divine administration. We'll come through the bronze altar, 
through the labor entering into the tabernacle, the feed on the bread, to be shined on by the light, and then go to the ark, to the holy of holies, and then we come back to the incense altar to pray. Number three, if we have a clear view of the incense altar, we will pray for God's move, for the executing of God's purpose, for the Lord's recovery, for the carrying out of the divine administration, and for the divine dispensing. This kind of prayer fulfills God's purpose and delights his heart. Okay, now we come to the last part, last part Romans 3, the effectiveness of the incense altar in motivating all the activities in God's move. The picture of the tabernacle is tremendous because the tabernacle, point A, let me just go ahead and read point A, signifying God embodied in Christ for his move on earth is portrayed in the Gospel of John. The tabernacle is the moving God. He is the, 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 the tabernacle signifies God embodied in Christ to carry out his move on the earth. Psalm 68 reveals to us, tells us, let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. That was in reference to the, to the tabernacle. Moses <clears throat> tells us when the, when the tabernacle moves, that's when God moves. So the tabernacle shows, is a portrait, is, is, it shows us the moving God, and this moving God is portrayed in the Gospel of John, where in John 1.14 tells us when Christ came, he tabernacled among us. He was the fulfillment of that tabernacle. He brought God to man through his incarnation. Now, number, it's very, very, very revealing. Number one, in the Gospel of John, the bronze altar signified by the Lamb of God taking away the sin of the world. The Lamb in chapter 1, verse 29. The Lamb there, that's a sin offering, signifies, that, that shows us the bronze altar was there. Then in chapter 3, with uh, uh, Nicodemus concerning regeneration, we see the labor there, signified by the washing of regeneration. And then number three, then in chapter six, in chapter six of uh, 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 of John, talking about the bread, Christ is the bread of life, showing the sh- the showbread table signified by Christ <clears throat> as the bread of life from heaven. He came to feed us as the bread. Then the lampstand, number four, signified by Christ as the light of the world. This is in chapter eight. We are shown Christ came to to bear the light in the world. And number five, the ark is revealed in chapters 14, 15, 16, which are the deepest chapters in the book of John, which reveal the ark, which chapters reveal the holy of holies, where by Christ's death and resurrection, we enter into the place where God is, even into God himself. In those three chapters, we are shown that Christ, Christ's death and his resurrection, his going away to come back to bring, he brought man to God and he brought God into man. This is the Holy of Holies. This is the, 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 the holiest place where God and man are fully brought together, right? Mingle together. And number six, the incense altar can be found in Christ's prayer of intercession in chapter 17. 
So <clears throat> it's so wonderful. After 14, 15, 16, Christ prayed. So after the ark, Christ came back to the incense altar to offer that ultimate, the highest, the most deepest prayer. That was the incense altar. So this is the book of John, giving us a portrait of this of God's move in his tabernacle, ending with his prayer life on the earth. Now, point B, the intercession in chapter 17 of John implies the effectiveness of the altar of burnt offering, the riches of the showbread table, the brightness of the lampstand, and in particular, the Holy of Holies with the Ark of the Testimony. In other words, you have all these furnishings that at the at the bronze altar, people repent. People are brought to God. Sinners are brought to God. <clears throat> at the uh, uh, labor at the showbread table, God's people are fed. At the lampstand, God's people are being enlightened. And it's at the ark, God's people are made one with God, being reconciled to God fully. All these are being operated and made effective by the prayers at the incense altar. You just consider our salvation. Without someone praying for you, you will not be saved, right? Even your growth in life, your seeking of the Lord, because someone is praying for you, or someone is, or even through your prayer, everything is made effective by that incense altar. Without the incense altar, all the furnishing will be just there. It will not be effective. It will not work. So point C, the last point, the incense altar is truly the place from which the activities and all the other places in the tabernacle are motivated. Dear saints, I hope the Lord speaks to us using this uh, message, how crucial the incense altar is. This, These are the days. Revelation 8 shows us the final scene of prayer recorded in the scriptures. There has been prayers mentioned in Hannah's prayer, Daniel's prayer, the Lord Jesus' prayer, the disciples' prayer, Paul's prayer. But the ultimate scene of prayer is recorded in Revelation 8. It's at the incense altar. It's here we are today. 